For a moment, I was back in fourth grade. We learned those songs in school. And so I can still sing them because we sang them not once a year, but every week and a lot of them every day. One thing we did every day is what we're going to do this morning. This is not Veterans Day. That's the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. That's Veterans Day. Not Memorial Day. Memorial Day is in May and it remembers those who paid that sacrifice. This week is Independence Day that we celebrate the independence, the throwing off of the change of, uh, as our founding fathers said, absolute despotism of not only the king but also the Church of England, so that we could come to a new land, our forefathers, having in their heart to have the very best for their families and to be able to worship God in the freeness and the liberty that the world wants to steal from us today. And so I think it only fitting that we stand. If you can't see it, it's right over there. And if we can do it in Bible, and we ought to get back to doing it in Bible school. We need to get back to doing it in our homes. Celebrating. It is not, and I, Philip put it very succinctly. Uh, our Father, listen, don't let the secularists steal the trueness of our American Christian Judeo history. Listen to the words. Salute. Pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which King, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may be seated. It's still under God. Amen? The problem is, it's not the ones who are fighting against it. It's the ones who simply won't say anything and won't stand up against that group, that tide. Listen, I don't know if you realize this, but the, one of the smallest people groups in America are singing the loudest. And so they're getting the most attention. Do you know that the population of Muslims in America is less than 1%? Less than 1% of our entire United States and I'm, te- I'm tired of the lies that have been perpetrated and bought into by Christians. It's not a peaceful religion. It is very openly and adamantly against anything that's not Islam. That means, listen, if you're a Christian, you are the great infidel. You are the great Satan and they feel empowered to take your life. But I've got news for you. Christians have died for a whole lot less than that, standing for the cause of Christ for thousands of years. So let us not be surprised, but let us stand with great fervency. Let us stand with great pride and integrity, not in the colors, not even in the sewing of that fabric, but in the very fabric of what our nation is about. On the top of the tallest monument, the Washington Monument, 
at over 555 feet tall stands a capstone that is engraved with this Latin phrase, Los Deo, to God be the glory. We need, just as the Liberty Bell speaks of that freedom and liberty, in Leviticus, printed on there, we need to be living it every day of our life. That's not my sermon, but that's my soapbox. And it's true. And so I want you to turn to Matthew 23. I'm glad to live in America. I just came back from one of the worst third world countries there is. Listen, I know we've got our issues, but you ain't seen poor. Well, preacher, we've got it right. I'm telling you, we don't have it like they got it. Listen, the poorest of poor in our county is upper middle class where we were at. Amen? It's all like that. And you say, oh, we're so blessed in America. I don't know that that's really the fact. Having cars and stuff and being able to have enough money to skip church and go there and go there and uh, things that take up our time that we don't read God's word and we don't pray because we're self-dependent. I don't know that it is a blessing. And the thing that we pray, God, shed your love, shed your blessings on us, may be that God takes some things away. You see, Jesus started his earthly ministry, as I said last week, with eight blessings. It's called the Beatitudes. He started and preached the Sermon on the Mount in a city that he would curse. And then he ended his earthly ministry in a city that would be blessed, but he ends it with eight woes. Started with the blessings, Matthew 5. Ends with the woes of Matthew 23. And that's where we find our text this morning. Last week we spoke of the first three of the eight woes. The woe of a hindering witness, he said... In verse 13, woe to the scribes, Pharisees and hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Woe of the pretentious practices. In verse 14, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense you make long prayer. Listen, Jesus sees through our fakeness. He sees through our our insincereness. He sees through our faults. Religions and the pretentious practices of our trivial work. The woe of fanatical fakers. Verse 15, he says, Woe unto you, for you, have, you will compass the sea. You will compass the sea. You will go all over and all lands to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you'll make him twofold more the child of hell than even yourselves are. Empty practices and evil results in our lives. You say, how, how, how do we get a crowd? How, listen, give away dope. You can draw a crowd. No, probably just get a ticket. They don't arrest you for it anymore. Not that often. 
Do you know they had to set a law in the United States during presidential elections because they gave away liquor to come vote? And they had to set a law. That's why places are dry on election day. Do you know that's why it originally started that way? Because they had barrels of liquor and you'd, give a, you'd get a free glass of liquor if you come voted for their candidate. And so it went dry on election day. Listen, the world, don't put anything past the world. We heard this week that one of our favorite pastimes is taking place in the church. Right here on this little thing. A guy that is rumored to have stole the idea that has become too smart for his own good, Mark Zuckerberg, stood before an audience and said, listen, we're taking the place of the church for we are the community. We have reached a worldwide community. I've got news for him. Pastor Jeffress, Dr. Jeffress at First Baptist Dallas, he said, the church was here before you got here, Mark, and the church will be here long after Facebook. We don't need Facebook. And I'm not, listen, it's a great tool and we reach a lot of people. But the world, listen, John Lennon said during the heyday of the Beatles, and I know it's been 50 years ago, but he said, listen, we're more popular than Jesus was in his day. Y'all remember that coup? You don't mess with that stuff. But here's where we go today in our woes. And here's the thing, listen. He's talking to the religious crowd. He is saying things that everybody else has thought. When they walk by and they would have their long trains and they would blow their trumpet and say, look what we're giving. Look how long we pray. Can you imagine you can't fast like we do? They had long looked at this religious crowd and thought, what a bunch of fakers. But Jesus had the wherewithal and the holiness to back up what he said. And so he just called them what they were. A generation of vipers, hypocrites, actors. Listen, the truth is, he started with a blessing in Matthew 5. Ends with the woes, which is not a curse that he put on them. Remember what we said. But a curse that they chose to bring on themselves. The gospel is the good news blessing to those who believe it. But it's a dreadful curse to those who reject. The, oh, but Jesus loves us all. Listen, I've got news for you. People go to, die, go to hell. They die and go to hell because they do not place their hope, faith, and trust in the one who can set them free. The gospel is the good news for you now, not for eternity if you die lost and in your sins. If you think that there's some way that you can fix yourself, some way I can get holy, some way I can work myself and be really good, you'll die and go to hell. And so we pick up in verse 16, the woe of blind guides. He said, woe unto you. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is 
a debtor. You fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. I've got a sister-in-law that is completely blind. Completely blind. Not legally blind, not 20, 50, or 40, 50, or 50. No, blind. As in blind. Completely blind. And she... You know, we can poke fun with her, but sometimes she pokes fun back. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I I mean, we'll be sitting around Christmas Eve, and we're opening presents. And and, and I've got a crazy niece. She'll open something, and she'll run over to her Aunt Kim. She'll say, look, Kim, look what I got. Well, Aunt Kim has turned the tables on her. And she'll say, oh, but Lindsay, you're so beautiful. And she'll just do all, oh, this is so, I've never seen anything like it. My brother didn't even mean to. My sister-in-law doesn't have a Facebook account, but my brother does. And so for her birthday, he sent out a message and he said, I know she won't see it, but I want to tell my wife happy birthday. I said, that's your mama's side of the family, son. You ain't like us Brady's. I said, I, I call, I said Art, do you really? He said, no, I didn't, but it's hilarious. And I've told her about it. But the point is, she couldn't see it if she wanted to. She's blind. You say, I can't believe it. I mean, she's blind. Don't whisper. She ain't got no problem with her hearing. She'll prove that. But here's the thing. I'm not going to let her drive. We did on a four-wheeler one time in a pasture. And the pasture was almost not big enough. But we let her get on there and drive. But you know what? I said, I'm not riding with her. Art, you get on there. Because I'm not going to ride with a blind driver. I'm just not. Problem is, in this world... Too many of us are following blind guides, or we are the blind guides ourselves. Woe, you blind guides. Listen, what does that mean? For the the most part, the problem is, I think, that we're leading by tradition. Leading by tradition. He said in verse 8 and 9 of Matthew 15, the people... The people draw nigh to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. I've got my preferences about things. Okay? I'm just going to be real honest with you. I like white bread. Oh, but preacher, you just don't know. You need that. I do know, and I don't care. I want white bread. If I'm going to eat a nanner sandwich, I'm going to have me some white bread, preferably sunbeam white bread. Amen. I'm not blind to that fact. I understand it. But listen, it's this whole, I, I went to a, a Bible conference thing on 
how to be good Christians. And he spent an hour on why it was wrong to eat white bread. Any of you ever been to a Bill Gothard seminar? Back in the 80s, that was the thing. First Baptist, Atlanta pushed it. They rented out the Omni for it. How about that? On the principles of Christian living, they spent an hour on why it was evil to eat white bread. I knew right then I was done with him. Because I'm still convinced when I get to heaven, God's going to say, you were right. That blanket that the Lord held by four corners that he brought down before Peter was the first picnic basket. And it opened up and there was barbecue and Krispy Kreme donuts and white bread and sweet tea. And he said, it's all common, Peter. Have a big time. And Peter had his first cookout. If y'all have anything like that, Tomorrow, Tuesday, just give me a call. My phone number's in the bulletin. Listen, but the deal is, he said, you're teaching for doctrine the traditions of men. I have my preferences, but they're preferences. They're not doctrine. The Bible tells us that all Scripture, Scripture's not what man said. Scripture's what the Holy Spirit said. And the canon of Scripture being confirmed, 66 books, from Genesis to Revelation, Not the Apocrypha, not the Pseudepigrapha, but those 66 books that stood the test of time through a Holy Spirit consensus of men closed the canon of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration. God breathed. It's It's not literalistic. It is the literal, living, breathing Word of God. It is not one that is really good. It is without error. It is Jesus on paper. All scripture is given by inspiration, theonoustos, God breathed, inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine. So we have doctrine, doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of of, uh, end times, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of angels, the, the doctrine of the Bible. We have doctrine. Doctrine matters. And we need to know where we stand on the biblical doctrine of the word and make sure it's not the tradition of men. He said that's what's happening and it's leading by tradition. And what we're doing is we're being spiritually dishonest. Spiritually dishonest. We say, well, you need to look like this, act like this, do this, all these other things. Somebody said, why do you still wear a suit on Sunday morning? Nobody ever wears suits anymore. You know what? Preachers who don't, I don't think you're going to die and go to hell. You know what I tell them? I said, I wear a suit for two reasons on Sunday morning. Number one, and most importantly, I make it look good. That usually shuts them down. Number two, and really the most important, I already bought them, and I'm not just going to let the moths eat them. I'm going to get some use out of them. But, you know, I was the way I was raised. I know things have changed. It's not a doctrine to wear a suit. That's not doctrine. All of you say, I ain't wearing a tie. 
You just ain't bought the right suit because the tie ain't got nothing to do with how tight it is. It's the shirt. Come talk to me. I'll fix you up. But it's tradition. How much of our worship is just tradition? Listen, we sing one song, we have prayer. We sing another song, another song, then we have an offering, then the preacher preaches, and we sing him. How many times, maybe, should we wake up and we start the service on our knees in the altar? We sing it, oh, come to the altar. Anybody move, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But listen, if the Holy Spirit moves you to do it during the singing, maybe it's the first thing. Don't hinder the Holy Spirit of God. Worship's about Him. It's not about how good the preacher preached or how long or how wonderful the singer sung. That's not what it's about. It's about singing. It's about preaching, but it's also about giving. It's about repentance, confession, it's, it's about many elements. There's eight elements of worship we know of biblically. And we, we need to get back to what is true, not spiritually dishonest. We build careers out of that, which our parents or our pastor, our Sunday school teacher told us, this is the way it's supposed to be. Jesus was blowing up their tradition. I wonder if Jesus walked into Eastside today, what sacred cows would be offered on the altar right away? Right away, he'd say, start a fire. We're fixing to have a cow killing. What is it that we hold tight to that really has no eternal significance in the presence of God? It's sinfully senseless. What was the problem was, he said they're blind guides. They couldn't see God. They couldn't hear God. They couldn't feel God. They couldn't taste. He said, taste and see that I'm good. They were senseless. They had no sense about them to experience who the Lord himself is. When's the last time you sensed the presence of God? When's the last time it overwhelmed you? Not emotionalism. But listen, I'm a firm believer when God's presence is so readily available, we see him, I think there'll be an emotional outcry. I just do. Now, you may be laughing, you may be smiling, you may be crying. I don't know. But it will change you. You can't be in the presence of God and not be moved. Amen? We didn't see Moses cry, but we saw that His very countenance changed so that he glowed. I mean, he went nuclear when he met met God on the mountain. Right? Did he not come down? And they said, you've been with God. He glowed with the Shekinah, the the glory of God. When's the last time somebody looked at you and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? When you're with Jesus enough on your face and in his word, listen, people will see it on you. People will see it on you. People will look at you. They can tell by your, your conversation. Listen, they can tell by your language. They can tell by your attitude. They were sinfully senseless, blind guides. My sister-in-law may not be able to drive a vehicle, but I can absolutely, positively promise you she'll wear the covers off the ivories on that piano and play nothing but hymns and, and spiritual songs. You can stand here. You, know, you remember the old red book? Church hymnal. It's the Church of God hymnal. I love some of them. 
But you can stand here and you can just start calling out numbers. You ain't got to tell her a name. You can just say, play 120, big tree in Jesus. You can tell her, play 110, heaven's jubilee. Tell her to play 56, I've never been sorry. Tell her to play 10. Tell her to play 333, I'll fly away. She'll just, all you, you just start calling them out. And she does it all for the glory of the Lord. And it's absolutely breathtaking. Listen, she's not trying to lead people by driving. She's trying to lead people in her worship of just being sold out to the Lord. She could go home and say, oh, I can't see, I ain't going to do anything. She don't do that. She serves plays at weddings and funerals. Don't get paid anything. She just serves God in it. We're leaning on the past. Tradition. Well, it's the way we've always done it. I would rather have three fillings without Novocaine than to hear that. Yeah, I don't know how that feels. I hadn't had that, but it sounds painful. We're leaning on the past. Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorite spiritual authors, said this. It's a tragedy. Hear me now. It's a tragedy when you try and prove your spirituality by the things you don't do rather than proving them by the things you do. It is a tragedy when you try and prove your spirituality. Well, I don't drink. I don't I don't do drugs and I don't cuss and I don't run with people who do. It's one thing not to do it, but to try to prove your spirituality by the things you don't do rather than proving them by the things you do. That's what the Pharisees did. And for too long, the Southern Baptist Convention have been known for what we're against and not what we're for. Does Eastside, is Eastside recognized in our community for what we do rather than what we're against? What we're for, we're for you. We're for them. I'm for you. The Lord is for our community. Not not this community, everything's pie in the sky. But listen, Jesus died for us individually. We need to wake up. And we need to show the world by the things we're for. I'm for Jesus. I'm for repentance. I'm for revival. I'm for prayer. I'm for seeking God. I'm for serving God. I'm for doing what God wants in my life. They lean on the past and they've lost their way in lies. My daddy always said, if you, if you lie, you'll try to tell another lie to cover it up. And for long, you don't even remember what you said to start with. We've got to ask ourselves, where are we going? Individually, corporately, where are we going? Hey, listen to me. Where are we going? Where are we going today? Where are we going tomorrow? Where are we leading our church today? Where are we leading our community today? What are we doing? We keep doing the same old stuff, and the description of lunacy is to do that and expect different results. Said, so, well, we don't. We never sung songs like that. Well, they didn't fifty years ago sing the songs they started then. Do you know when they started the Sunday school in the Southern Baptist Convention? They tried to stone the guy who started it. They had to sneak him out a window at the convention. 
Because they said, oh, he's a heretic. He's taking time away from the preaching. Things are not always popular when they change. Well, they're not spiritual playing all them guitars and stuff. I got news for you. A Mighty Fortress is Our God was written by Martin Luther and it was set to a bar tune from a beer hall in Germany. Get over your traditions and your perception of the way things are. And listen, as the song said, just come to the altar. He's there with his arms open. Why? Where are we going? Where, what are we doing? What are we doing? Well, I mean, really, what are we doing? Do we just keep having Sunday school and hope somebody's going to show up when nobody wants to teach? Do we say we've got a women's or a men's ministry if nobody wants to lead? We've got great ideas, but nobody wants to lead. Hey, preacher, why don't we do this? But I can't do it. Hey, won't you get, hey, we can do this if you can get somebody to leave. I don't need ideas. I need people. Michelle needs people. Ryan needs bodies. Listen, y'all could all say, hey, God bless you as you go on the youth trip. And if we didn't have the chaperones, we couldn't go. But we do, and I thank God for them. We can't just sit in our Sunday school rooms and talk about how we need to reach Christ if we won't tell anybody the truth. We're blind guides. The Bible says if the blind leads the blind, what's going to happen? They're both going to fall in the ditch. What are we doing? Where are we leading? Where are we leading? Have you ever went in a parade of vehicles like on a vacation or on a trip and there's nothing worse than trying to have to keep up with somebody for 100, 200, 300 miles. Oh, that just, that's worse than that whole three fillings with no Novocaine. And the thing is, have you ever went and you keep following somebody and they finally pull over and you say, are we here? They said, no, I thought you knew where you're, I don't know where I'm going. You've been following them for an hour. I don't know. And you, you People are watching us, he said. People that walk and ride up and down these roads, they're waiting on us to fail. They want to see if we really care. They see if we're real on our jobs and our attitude resembles Christ, His love, just like we do while we're up here on Sunday. In our class. Young people are watching. Look, look, leaders, Sunday school, deacons, pastor. You don't come on Sunday night, don't come on Wednesday night. Come every once in a while. Listen, they see you for what you are. And I know we all have our issues. We all have our excuses. And I know sometimes they're legitimate. But listen, leaders lead. Problem is, unspiritual leaders lead in wrong paths. And we teach our young people to be unfaithful. We've taught them. I talked to Billy Smith yesterday. He, he, he said, you praying for me, boy? I said, yes, sir, Dr. Smith. Yes, sir. He said, I'm praying for you, too. He said, what, what are we going to do about the way the church is? And he said, and all this stuff going on. He said, boy, they just check out during the summer. I said, well, yeah, I mean, you know. Truth's the truth. Now, I'm not preaching to the choir. You're here. 
And it's okay to take a vacation. I've said that. But look, do we really need three or four months? Oh, Jesus got up in the wilderness. He didn't stay up there. He didn't reserve that spot and go three times a week. Because there was work to be done. Where are we leading? And then the woe of legalistic liberals. Now you say, that's an oxymoron. Well, any liberal's a moron, but... Really? The woe. Hey, listen, we've gave that word a bad meaning. I'm a liberal. I want to be a liberal in the grace of God. Isn't Jesus liberal? He's liberal with his love. Listen, do you get love you don't deserve? That's because he loves you. That's the true meaning of But we have perverted so much in our English language. But listen, the woe of legalistic liberals. He said in verse 23 and 24, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and dill and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done. And not to leave the other undone. You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Oh, they're legalists. Oh, we got to do this. We got to do this. You got to wear skirts this long. You can't do this. You got to do this. You can't do that. Got to start here and got to finish here. Got to look this way. Got to act this way. Walk this way. Do all these things. And they're legalistic, but they're liberal in the sense in the wrong way. Straining gnats and swallowing camels. Listen, church, we need to get back to making the main thing the main thing. Amen? Let's make the main thing the main thing. When you got any question, what should I do? Is Jesus first in it? Who should I date? Is Christ first in your relationship, in their life? That's the first question. Should I do this with work? Is Christ being honored and is Christ leading you there? What is it in your life that needs to be thrown on the trash heap of repentance and confession and get back to what God wants? Listen, you're straining at a gnat swallowing a camel. Oh, I'm worried about this. You could, I've been reading my Bible through this year, but you know what? That don't make me super spiritual. And if I spend all my time just reading through to try to read through and I don't take time to sit and just meditate on it and speak to my heart, then I am straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Really. If I go out and I protest against abortion and yet I don't use encouraging words for students who may contemplate ending their life, then am I really being true? I talked to my buddy Joey. He's the priest at our men's banquet a couple years ago. He's the chaplain for Paulding County Sheriff's Department. He did a funeral of an 18-year-old yesterday that took his own life. His grandfather was my Sunday school teacher and RA director. He said, I hadn't finished all the numbers. He said, but last year, Paulding County 
there was 458 suicide attempts. I looked that up. That's one out of every 32 people. Or, I mean, 320 people. One out of every 320 people. One out of every 320 people. Who is it around us that needs somebody to say you matter in the eyes of God? Straining at gnats and swallowing camels. We're skipping the real stuff. Look what he said in verse 23. You say pay tithe of mint and dill and cumin, all these herbs. And you don't even, you don't even take time. You have omitted. You have left out the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You know what it was? They didn't just avoid the real stuff. They despised it. They despised God's law because it convicted them. The same reason that they had John, and it wasn't the Pharisees, but Herod and his wife and stepdaughter. Why did they take his head off? Because his message convicted their lifestyle. Do you know why they hate to hear Christians speak? Because your life convicts theirs if you're living it right. It's not holding up signs saying God hates you. No. It's God hates sin. Right? God don't hate drug addicts. God doesn't hate homosexuals. I don't care what you think. Because listen, God loves you. And if you're saved, you're dying going to hell just like they are if they don't know Jesus. There is no difference. You may think because you're a good old country boy or you cook the best cornbread and biscuits in Evans County. You'll die and go to hell just like a homosexual that does not believe in Jesus Christ. But the ground's level at the foot of the cross and he cares. As I told you last week and Emily told you about us singing in that little bitty church that was not as big as our kitchen. And we heard them in French Creole begin to sing my favorite song. Red, yellow, black and white, they're all precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Oh, how it became so real for me that day. As those precious children in that little church in Laogon, there on the banks of the ocean, in this jungle setting, These children sang a song that I've heard all my life when I was that age in Bible school. We've skipped the real stuff. We've skipped law. I got news for you. God's law has not changed. You say, but what about the times and the culture? What do we say about the Bible? Do you believe the Bible or not? That it hadn't changed. I know, I don't want to read some parts of it because it convicts me sometimes. You know, if I'm just living freewheeling and everything's great and groovy, I usually try to steer away from Proverbs. Because you don't have to read very far in Proverbs till God will skin you. You start reading over there and you think, man, this is so good. God's getting them told. Paul's telling them over here in the church at Philippi, I can do all things. And all of a sudden, he says, oh, but are you content in whatever state you find yourself to be in? 
And you've whined about this and whined about this. And, oh, I want a new job. Oh, I want. And then all of a sudden, church, God's law hasn't changed. And they knew it hadn't changed. So they just chose to disobey it and despise it. They skipped the law. They skipped judgment. Listen, it can't be displaced. We need to understand for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. And the wages of sin is death. You cannot avoid judgment. But they tried. It don't matter how hard you try. You hear what I'm telling you? You can't try hard enough. We have been taught, and that's the one bad thing about America. We're all about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. If it don't work, just work harder. And we need to work hard. Uh, young people, you need to work at all. We need, but you can't work harder into God's grace. You can't do it. You can't work around judgment. Judgment's coming. You know how I know that? I've read it into the book. This world's going to come to an end because of judgment. Mercy. This just ignores Christ. When we don't show mercy, some of us like to take pride about being hard. I, well, that's just the way I am. Well, you know what? Change. If you just always snide and cutting and mean, well, I just can't... St- you know, always some kind of, and I, you know, I understand. I want to throat punch people too. But not everybody. You know, if you're just never happy, just never happy, you're never satisfied with anything, anybody, you know who you're really upset with? Look in the mirror. And look at God. Because that mercy that the Lord has given you, you chose to reject. And I'm telling you, the mercy of God will have this calm, cooling effect. Just like that aloe I put on that sunburn yesterday. The breath of God in mercy and faith. What does he say without faith? It's what? It's what? Impossible. So you're you're telling me there is a chance, right? No. No. No! You can be dumb and even dumber and not realize, no, there is no opportunity without faith. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it's impossible. The problem is we become self-reliant. Everything's okay. I can, I'm all right. I can fix myself. I'll be all right. No, you can't. And you sure can't. Well, you know what? We, we get so self-reliant, we think we can fix other people. That's what the Pharisees were doing. You need to get right. You need, they couldn't fix themselves. Church, we can't fix ourselves. We're not going to fix the world, but we can point them to the one who can. Remember now, this is the woes to the religious crowd. I want to hurry and finish. The woe of false advertisers. We've heard a lot about fake and fraud news the last six months. Well, it didn't start on CNN. It started with the Pharisees and the scribes. He said in verse 25 and 26, Woe unto you. 
You hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. You blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. It's misleading works. We're satisfied with the gifts and talents. But look, the truth is, it's not about our gifts and talents. That's all great. It's about Christ of the gifts. If you're satisfied, listen, I've seen some people who could walk on stage and they're so charismatic. They could preach a message. They could sing a song and walk back to the green room and be the most hateful, arrogant, self-centered people you've ever met. Now make no mistake about it. God's word says that whether it's preached out of envy and strife, it's still preached. But that don't help the one who did it. Amen? You can fake it. You think till you make it. But misleading work says I'm satisfied with my gifts, my talent, and my ability rather than being satisfied in Christ. Is it about Jesus or not? Misplaced focus. God works or good works over a great Savior. I've seen some really good people in this world. What do we always say about good people? They'll do what for you? Give you a shirt off their back. That's what we always say. There's an old southern gospel song that said, Good old boys ain't going to make it into heaven. Good old boys won't wear a crown. Because the Bible says there's none. And the none's that kind of same, same tense, the same uh, grammatical syntax as we were talking about a while ago. How much is none? None. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so it's not just misleading works, it's misplaced focus. We, we focus on good words. Oh, we've got to get it done. We've got to get it done. We've got to have numbers. We've got to... Listen, numbers are important. God named a whole book of the Bible after them. Amen? It's called numbers. I didn't know if you knew that. Just want to make sure. He had 12 apostles. 3,000 saved at Pentecost. Numbers matter. Because Jesus sees every number as a soul, a person. But when we just about numbers, nickels and noses, as they would say, then we've missed the point. Misplaced focus. And the seventh woe is that, and this is the one that drew me to this whole message. And I'm going to be very brief on it, I promise you. Verse 27 and 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're like unto white sepulchres, white graves, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I went by some of the most beautiful obelisks you've ever seen in Arlington National Cemetery. And I always like to talk about trivia and stuff like that. And 
always ask the question, we talk about presidents and stuff. How many presidents were, born, uh, were buried, buried in Arlington National Cemetery? Anybody know? Y'all know one, right? Who? JFK. John F. Kennedy's born in the eternal flame, you know, right there at the very front, right at the bottom of the Lee Custis house. But who's the second one? Anybody know? It's huge. It's about this tall, and it's about, it's probably, it's probably eight foot tall, eight foot wide, and 12 foot long, made of some of the most beautiful stone. It's a kind of a pink orangey marble with a name inscribed on the end. And here's the clue. He's buried there not because he was president, but because of the job he really wanted. He's the only one that ever took the presidency, was elected president, ran for president because he wanted to use it as a stepping stone to become the chief justice of the Supreme Court. And he did. That big tomb gives you your last hint. Really big tomb. Howard Taft. Don't nod if you ain't going to snow. Those are the only two buried there. And it's really cool. You go into the National Cathedral. There's a president buried inside the National Cathedral. President Wilson, along with Helen Keller. It's buried in it. Beautiful. I mean, they're laid there in their sepulchers and the fame. Just wonderful stonework and all that. And it's just unbelievable. You know what? They're still dead. They're still just rotting bodies inside that grave. Jesus used this as a picture. He said that there's a woe to beautiful graves. It's a rotten reputation are we what men see see here's the deal why were they beautiful sepulchers why were they whitewashed why would they do this they would take that lime and they would take the mix and the water and they would make whitewash like good old Tom Sawyer would do they'd whitewash Uh, Ben you've been to Israel Lane you've been to Jerusalem And there, if you've ever seen a picture on the Mount of Olives, they're buried above ground. Do you know why they're buried above ground? Outside the eastern gate, right across the Kidron Valley? Because as good Jews, they believe when the Messiah comes back, just as we read Jesus did, they think Jesus wasn't the Messiah. They think when their Messiah comes, he's going to raise them all from the dead. So they bury them above ground in these Beautiful sepulchers of stone. Well, what they would do, now remember what time of the year this was. This is during Triumphal Entry Week, right? What happens this weekend beside the crucifixion? What happens in religious circles and the religiosity of Judaism that weekend? What happened? Passover. And so the good, the good Jews, the good legalistic Faking, hypocritical Pharisee says, you know what? We need to make them all look good. So they whitewashed all the sepulchers so that as everybody traveled in, they would see that we're ready for Passover. But they missed the point. They missed the point that this weekend that he's talking about, 
that Jesus is there. It wasn't just about what happened when the angel of death come over and the blood had been applied through that lamb to, for the covering of sin, but the blood was about to be applied for the cleansing of sin. And they missed the whole point. Outside they were shiny. Inside they were rotten. Rotten reputations, not what men see. Rank religiosity, not what, me, what we say or do. They prepped for the Passover, but their lives didn't resemble the rest of the time. Do we get all hyped up? You know, we call them creasters. You know what a creaster is? One who goes to church on Christmas and Easter. We have church seasons. I hear every pastor say, man, I almost dread Easter now. Why? He said, as soon as Easter's over, so is church attendance. And there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, it climbs there for a month or two, and then, whoa. It used to kind of drop off a little bit toward the end of school. Now it just kind of just, whoa. And then it'll peak back up a little bit at school, have a little bump, go back down, and then we hit Thanksgiving, get through kind of that part, and then it'll climb to Christmas and then drop down again. The truth is, and you can get mad all you want, this is Jesus' words. He said, outside we're painted up, but inside we're rotten. We're not what we say. We're not what we do. We're just a rank religiosity. We're just going through the motions if Jesus is not Lord of all. Withering churches, we know churches are plateauing and dying. And it's not because we're not doing what the hip, non-denom, not require anything church is doing. I got news for you. You know why people go there? Because nobody calls them by name. Nobody wants them to keep nursery because they don't have one. They don't even know that they've changed denominations when they go there. They just know that nobody asked them to do anything. And so we have withering churches. It's not who we really are. We're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is the living, most powerful organism this world has ever known. Verse 29. Woe, the last woe. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets, and you garnish the sepulchers of the righteous, and say, if we had been... if." If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them that killed the prophets. Look, it's a woe of living in the past. You know what the last words of a dying church is? We used to. He said, if we'd have been there, it wouldn't have happened. I'm going to tell you, church, until we're willing to realize the curses that we're bringing on ourselves because of the hypocritical lack of putting Jesus first and foremost in everything, that's the solution. Eight woes, and it's all because they would not put their eyes on Jesus. Whether it was ignoring law and judgment, or whether it was just Washing the outside, not the inside. Whether it was acting like everything is alive, but inside it was dead. 
Whether it was their blindness in trying to lead others. Church, we've got to get our eyes on Jesus. Leaders, we've got to get our eyes on Jesus. You want to change the world? Let God change you. God wants to do extraordinary things, but he does it through ordinary people. Stop thinking about, I've got the talent, I've got the ability, and start trusting the one who can do it all. What good is it if you've got all the ability in the world to do it? And never ask God to give you the power. But if you do great things in his name that you never could have done possible without him, who gets the glory then? He said, my grace is sufficient. So as they come right now, without hesitation, come to the altar. Don't come to the preacher. Come to Jesus. Come to him and say, Lord, I don't want to be in that shape. Lord, I don't want to bring any woes on me or my family. Lord, I don't want to bring any woes on the church or my generation. Lord, I want to be everything you want me to be. I want you to empower me to be that soul winner. I want to be obedient to the Great Commission. I want to evangelize. I want to disciple. I want to teach. I want to lead. I want to pray, God, increase my faith. Forgive me of my sins. I repent, Lord, with bitter tears. Lord, I've been negative. I've lost motivation. I've not been focused. God, whatever your prayer is. I need to be baptized. I need to be saved. I need to join at Eastside and as an act of faithfulness and trust in Jesus. Whatever you need to do today, come. You need to talk to me. Take me by the hand. Tell me. You just need to come pray. Pray. Stand and come. Stand. Come. Come. Come to Jesus.